Thank you guys for tuning in today and welcome back to another episode of The Source. I'm your host, Sam Raza, and today I'll be talking to economist and author Heiner Flassbeck. In the late 90s, Heiner Flassbeck served as the state secretary in the General Federal Ministry of Finance, where he also advised former finance minister Oscar Alfantin. From 2003 to 2012, he also served as chief of macroeconomics and development at the United Nations Conference of Trade and Development. Heiner Flassbeck, thank you so much for your time today. Hi, good to see you. Let us begin with some economic developments surrounding uh, Ukraine. EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen and 15 other commissioners visited Ukraine recently, where she announced the 10th package of Russian sanctions. The EU plans to impose a price cap on refined petroleum products within Russia, as well as finding a way to confiscate Russian state-owned assets that have been frozen in the previous rounds of sanctions. In your assessments, have previous rounds of sanctions been able to achieve their goals? And if not, do you think the latest installment will do so? No, they definitely have not achieved what they uh, should, what was what they were aiming at. Uh, I mean, uh, take German politicians uh, that said that will ruin the Russian economy. We learned that the abandonment of SWIFT will be disaster. Well, it's always not true. Uh, then Russia is delivering its oil and gas elsewhere. And uh, these are homogeneous products. So uh, if it goes to Asia, it comes back as Russian gas, but it can no longer be identified as Russian gas or oil. So it's uh, it was from the beginning extremely naive to, to believe that you could you, you put some sanctions and then this is over and this will uh, destroy Russia and uh, you will solve the conflict. No, the conflict has to be solved, but uh, by, by definitely other means than uh, just new sanctions. And uh, as we have shown, I have shown with a colleague a long time ago, one year ago exactly, uh, Ukraine was uh, for a long time close to be to membership to the EU and they were uh, given all the rights and uh, openness that uh, countries can expect. And, uh, and what happened, uh, it was not good for the Ukraine. It was a disaster for the Ukraine. Uh, the last 10 years before, even before the war, were a disaster, an economic disaster for the Ukraine. And uh, we, we still do fail to understand why it was uh, like that. And uh, this is uh, a bigger lesson that has to be learned about openness, about uh, uh, offering the country open markets and uh, promising them then uh, uh, the paradise. Uh, it's not like that. It's not at all. Uh, open markets can be a threat to to, to uh, countries, emerging countries, transforming countries, Ukraine, as many others in Eastern Europe is still transforming countries. And, uh, and, and we see the same and look around the world. You see it in Africa, you see it in uh, Latin America. Now we are, we are, our chancellor was just in uh, Latin America uh, trying to find new friends. Uh, but obviously it's not so simple. And uh, first you have to be a good friend, a real good friend, before you can, you can uh, get the people to, to stand by your side on, on whatever occasion in whatever uh, position. So uh, and, and we are not the best friends. We are... We're enemies for many countries because we have uh, uh, a lot of misdoings in the past. 
You already mentioned uh, Ukraine becoming a little part of uh, Europe. Uh, what was also discussed uh, when Ursula von der Leyen was there was the possible accession of Ukraine into the European Union. As someone like you who has been following and analyzing the economic policies of the European Union towards the southern countries such as Greece, Italy, what can we expect if Ukraine ever becomes part of the European Union? Yeah, ever, ever is too long. But if it, if it would come, become part, say, in five years' time, it would be a plain disaster for the country. Uh, it's absolutely clear. We see it in, in Eastern European countries that are members of the EU and that are very closely tied to the European Monetary Union, like take Bulgaria. Bulgaria is very close to being a failed state inside the EU and nobody takes care. They have this, the fourth or something election in the last two years and, and democracy is not working at all. Democracy always brings about the same guys, the same corrupt guys and unable guys and, and girls, guys and girls. We have to be yeah, fair. <laughs> And uh, and uh, the result is a disaster. The result is an economic disaster, and and nobody cares. The EU is not going there. Frau von der Leyen is not going there and asking what is going wrong. Uh, why why uh, are you in such a difficult uh, situation? Take Hungary, take Poland, take the Baltics. They have now twenty something uh, inflation rates. Uh, much much too high, much higher than we in the West. And they're not coming down in the same pace as they come down in the West. So, uh, but nobody cares. The European Commission is, has a very selective view on all these things, you know. And for von der Leyen in particular, she's not, she's not caring when there is a problem. She's just, uh, on her political agenda and fighting against Russia, which is, which is a, a stupid way to do it. Uh, and uh, she's not up to the, up to the job, definitely. Zelensky also recently announced he's inviting corporate America to invest in Ukraine, which includes giants like JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, um, and uh, BlackRock has agreed to assist in coordinating investment in Ukraine in various sectors. The chief of BlackRock recently said, and I'm quoting him here, I do believe emotionally those who truly believe in a capitalistic system will be flooding Ukraine with a lot of capital. Um, do you think if European Union will not help change the tide in Ukraine, that corporate America will help flourish it into a successful economy? Oh, what a poor country. I'm, I'm regretting them already now. Uh, if they're flooded by billions from the US, it will be a disaster, it will be bigger. Uh, than just by opening to to uh, to Europe, uh, because what what should it mean? What does it mean? It's a really a super stupid approach. Uh, what you need is what you need is the first thing that Ukraine needs is stable macroeconomic conditions, and they were not able to to uh, produce them by themselves in the last ten years. And the West were not helping them. So uh, flooding money into Ukraine will mean speculation. You know, we know these guys, they are footloose. They go in and out in a minute. And so they, they will destroy the country. Then finally, if Russia is not able to do it, they will do it uh, for sure. So, uh, I mean, this is this is uh, the most uh, incredible uh, approach that I ever heard about. Uh, and uh, to invite uh, investors, so-called investors, these guys that are speculating around with billions of money 
in all the markets, they are destroying many economies. They have destroyed economies in Asia, in Africa, in Latin America, and, and they are invited to build the country. Well, this is uh, <laughs> beyond my imagination, I must say. The inflation rate in the eurozone fell quite sharply than expected, and in January, consumer prices climbed by 8.5%. In contrast, in December, uh, the inflation rate was 9.2%, and last October, we witnessed a record value of 10.6%. With the decline in January, inflation has weakened for the third month in a row, and ECB has announced it will increase its interest rates again to continue fighting inflation. Do you think raising interest rates will continue to curb inflation? And secondly, what impact will it have on the general population? Well, first of all, uh, the ECB had a quite uh, smart approach up to January, February last year, 2022. Then till that point, the ECB was on the on the track of saying, well, this is temporary, these are temporary price increases, and we cannot do much about them. And this is still true, but the ECB has changed totally. Frau Lagarde, Madame Lagarde, has uh, turned around uh, uh, 180 80 degrees and, uh, and has never explained why. And now they're fighting something that doesn't exist. Uh, I tell you, I just uh, just today published an article with a colleague of mine, Friederike Spieker, and uh, it's on my my page in German. Relevante Economic will be tomorrow. I will put it on uh, Flaspig Economics in English. And there we ha we have calculated. We have made a very simple calculation. You know, the producer prices are falling and the consumer prices are falling. So we have assumed for three months now, uh, you mentioned that was the, 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 the race you mentioned where the uh, rates compared to the previous year, but more relevant for the uh, most recent developments is the rate compared to the months before. So compared to the months before, the rates are falling, absolute terms, they're falling for three months now. We have made a very simple exercise uh, namely, we said, what if from February on, from now on, the prices will not fall further down, but will stay where they are? What would that mean for the monthly inflation rate compared to the previous year and for the average inflation rate uh, for the whole year of 23 compared to 22? The answer is quite surprising, namely in July already, if the prices remain exactly where they are now, not falling further, which is very improbable. They most probably fall further. But if they stay where they are, the uh, the inflation target of the ECB will be hit in July of this year. Then the rate will be below 2%. And uh, for the if if we continue for the whole year with these constant prices, absolutely constant prices, then the average increase for the year 23 in, in comparison to 22 will be 2.4%. So it's, it's absolutely ridiculous to talk about uh, uh, a running inflation. There's nothing running. We, we see a normalization everywhere. And if, as I said, if the, the normalization doesn't have to continue, if it just stops now, the normalization, we will see absolutely flat rates. And uh, if, it, if it continues to fall another two, three months, then we will see negative rates in the middle of the year. And then I, I, I'm really curious what the ACB is going to do then. Then she has to cut from one day to the other 
back to zero or something like that. And I hope a lot of people will then uh, quickly resign, all those people that are responsible for this stupid policy. The, the policy is really stupid. There is no acceleration of uh, inflation in Europe now. It's coming down. There's no acceleration of wage increases. That would be really a threat. But the labor cost index that we have from, from Eurostat, uh, the last one is third, uh, third quarter uh, 22. There, the increase of nominal wages, labor cost, what is labor cost called, in Europe was 2.9%. This is really not inflationary at all, not at all. And we have, we have seen in Germany, there are some uh, very reasonable uh, contracts between uh, employers and employees. Uh, the unions have been reasonable. We have uh, one-off payments, uh, but uh, the permanent increase is absolutely non-inflationary. And in this moment, to increase uh, interest rates is stupid, but it's even more stupid to announce that you will increase in rates uh, in, in the next month. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious what happens if the next month the, the rate goes further down. Then it's absolutely clear that for the year as a whole, you will have uh, a, a result below below the uh, target of the ECB. So why are they keep increasing interest rates? Who's benefiting and losing from this? That's, that's not so. Well, they, oh, I can tell you who's benefiting. Benefiting are the banks. The banks are benefiting like hell. They have, they have reserves with the ECB. And uh, on these reserves, they get now something like 3%. They do nothing. They do nothing and get 3% on billions of euros. Imagine, that's a wonderful business. And, well, happy are these these uh, silly guys we have been talking about, the hedge funds and so. They're very happy. They have now, they can buy uh, government bonds again, and they get 3 to 4%. That's wonderful. So they buy them for 30 years, then they do not have to care about uh, return at all anymore. Uh, so there are a lot of a lot of winners, but but the losers, you see, in Germany, for example, construction sector is coming down like hell. It's like an implosion. We everybody in Germany says we need uh, we need a lot of uh, uh, new apartments, new housing uh, for for 400 to 600 thousand people a year a year. And the the incoming orders for the residential construction is coming down by 60%, 6-0 since last year from the, the top, which was uh, exactly one year ago to today, to December or so, it's 6-0%. Imagine that uh, an implosion, as I said, it, 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 that vanishes to exist. So and, and nobody cares. Well, well, this is a collateral damage. We cannot do anything about it. We have, we have. I can only repeat myself. We have people on on top of many of our institutions that are not up to the job. They they are not fit for the job. They they cannot explain anything. Uh, I do not have to mention Madame Lagarde or other people, it's, but it's everywhere the same. We, we have no one who's able to stand up and to say, why I am doing this now? What is the alternative? What could be uh, elsewhere considered? And something, nothing like that. They just sit there and say, well, we have decided to do and to do and to, and nobody cares. And the whole media is silent. They never criticize anything. So uh, this is... Uh, 
You see, the, 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 the danger is a danger for democracy. If, if, if it goes on like this, we're losing democracy. That is the, the big point behind it because democracy can only exist if you have open, free discussion, but uh, nobody is interested in open and free discussion of the things. And so it goes as it goes, and nobody is ever responsible for anything, you know. Never, never, ever anyone is responsible. Let us switch gears here and move to global issues. You recently published a piece on globalization on your website, uh, Flashback Economics. Can you first introduce this concept to our viewers and then talk about how it evolved over time? What we see now is, is uh, beyond what we have discussed nationally, internationally very dangerous movements, uh, namely uh, this hype that is produced by the U.S. It's all coming from the U.S., uh, namely uh, that we um, that we have to go into a rivalry position to China and Russia, obviously, also uh, is is extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous for Europe. Because, uh, as I said in this article, there can be no globalization a la carte, you know. Uh, the Western countries have anyway dominated the whole process of uh, globalization except for China. China was smart enough to uh, to be successful, but many others fell back and are lagging behind, as I mentioned before. And uh, uh, now globalization a la carte would mean we do not open markets. We do not even open our markets, not even open the markets, but we do it in a selective way. We we have selective globalization. We tell uh, the developing countries what we want from them, but uh, all the rest is yeah, it's in our our free decision. Huh? That's the way uh, the the German Chancellor went to Latin America. And he negotiated about uh, commodities. Sure, we want commodities we need, but but he didn't promise anything else. He didn't promise to help Brazil with uh, its uh, with the speculation on its currency, which was the biggest problem in the former Lula government. They they're not doing anything like that. They they. We, we, we generally refuse to talk about our intervention into these countries in the last 20, 40 years through the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. That was the worst thing we have done to these countries, but we're not, we refuse to talk about it. And we, we try to pick only, uh, the best cherries. And then when we have picked the best cherries, then we don't care about these countries anymore. Whatever happens to them, whatever happens to them. So what is the solution? What does the world actually need in order to have growth for both the global south and the global north that also ensures an equitable outcome? Well, the, the main ingredient for such a solution is what we had in the first 20 years after the Second World War, namely Bretton Woods system. Namely, we need a system of rather fixed exchange rate, fixed but flexible or adjustable, uh, let's call adjustable exchange rate, not flexible because that sounds like market. Again, markets, markets have failed dramatically. I mentioned the speculators already. Uh, they have uh, destroyed the second Lula government in Brazil and many other occasions. They have really destroyed industry and structures in developing countries, emerging countries, even highly developed emerging countries like Brazil. So what we need is, uh, what, the, what the countries need a regime that helps them to stabilize internally their uh, inflation rate and externally their exchange rate. That is exactly what the world needs. You, 
just to talk about open trade without that ingredient is anyway useless. It's absolutely useless. You need both. You need uh, a stable and good uh, trading system plus a stable and good monetary system. This, uh, these are twins. You cannot separate it. You cannot say let's we we want uh, we want an open trading system. But you know, on on financial things, like my friend Larry Summers from the U.S. always said, on the financial side, there is Wall Street. Wall Street decides, and the guys from BlackRock and so the good guys, they know what to do. No, that that is that doesn't work, uh, and that is that is the main uh, the main problem that we are we're refusing to talk about, and we need a. What we definitely need is a, is a different kind of approach from the International Monetary Fund if we have some, something like an International Monetary Fund. Uh, now the uh, Latin American countries are talking again about alternatives. I very much hope that they are able and, and bold enough to do it because um, in the past they were sometimes not. They had uh, We had the BRICS, but the BRICS was a very weak attempt to 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 really to decouple from uh, the western northern uh, institutions uh, i very much hope that lula and others are able to to go in that direction and that they're able to uh, to to find a solution for latin america it's absolutely uh, uh, urgent to have it but we also need it for for africa in africa many countries have stupid really stupid currency systems some are fixed to the euro the western uh, countries uh, to the former uh, french french um, colonies they are fixed to the euro, but with uh, uh, no no help at all, and uh, and with crisis time and again, and others are floating around. Others are, are fixed to the to the South African rent, but the South African rent itself is is uh, um, uh, permanently under under speculative uh, threat. So, so we need for the whole world really a, a truly global system. Uh, but we have to get rid of the old institutions. The IMF has to be reformed. Either it has to be reformed dramatically away from neoliberalism, which has failed, uh, to, to a totally new approach, or we need different uh, views. And I, if, if the emerging countries ask me, I, my, my recommendation is very clear. I say you have to do it alone. Forget about the Americans. They don't care. They are happy with the, with the IMF. The IMF does... Uh, Neoliberalism, something that the U.S. would never accept in the, U- in the U.S., you know, the famous saying of the U.S. Uh, is uh, do as we say, but don't do as we do. No? <laughs> and uh, so they would never accept any of the recommendations of the of the IMF. But for the other countries, it's fine because they keep the other countries small and uh, uh, nothing happens to the U.S. Uh, hegemony. You mentioned that uh, Germany was visiting Brazil and there was a lot of talk about extracting resources from there, uh, but little talk on the front of uh, speculation. Uh, you also just mentioned that speculation is a threat. Could you, for our viewers, uh, tell us why speculation is such a threat um, and who is it dominated by? Is it these global big financial institutions that invest a lot and speculate on countries. Can you elaborate on this concept? Yeah, yeah. it's very simple. Uh, it's so-called carry trade. You know, it's uh, the speculation is called carry trade. Why carry trade? Because you carry money to uh, certain countries, and so what uh, this is done by the hedge funds of the world, uh, the big hedge funds, 
and it's done by by the big banks and all all of the place all countries and it's it's a very simple thing namely you look around in the world where countries have rather high interest rates so you you see brazil for example brazil always has much higher interest rates than the rest of the world so the developed world so what are you doing you go you go to japan or you go uh, to the country with the lowest interest rate and you borrow money you are a big hedge fund you can borrow as much money as you want you borrow 5 million and you carry them to brazil you exchange them into the brazilian real uh, the brazilian currency and then you get uh, 10% interest rate you you pay nothing for the borrowing because the interest rate in japan is very low uh, and uh, you get uh, something like 10% in brazil which is a wonderful bargain this is this is really a, a simple simple thing and the risk is rather small because these the interest rates are fixed by the central banks and they do not change overnight uh, the, the 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 whole line and the policy of their of their interest rates so the this the simple side effect of this is and this happened during the lula governments uh, both lula governments but mainly the second one before the big global crisis namely that the brazilian real is appreciating and then we have a perverse result namely the currency of a country that has high inflation is appreciating that's just the opposite of what it should be it should depreciate to 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 stabilize their con- their competitiveness it should depreciate because their prices are higher than the prices in the rest of the world so it ha- they have to depreciate but in reality they appreciate they appreciate and that destabilizes the country dramatically so you can you can use uh, your central bank against this and you can uh, drive with interest rates but in the end it, at the end many countries are getting into an, a very difficult situation and they they were under political pressure from the americans not to intervene permanently in the markets uh, because this wonderful business should go on and and we have seen this all over the place in many many countries of the world and it has done so much damage but nobody talks about you know my colleagues economists they have always equilibrium in mind they they talk about efficient financial markets which is really something that doesn't exist but they don't care and so the IMF is ignoring it you know when i was uh, deputy uh, finance minister in germany my first thing i went to the imf and and talked about these things and they they had no no clue no they said they had no clue about it but they had no but they ignored it they just ignored it and there was this let me give you that anecdote that is very interesting there was uh, the uh, at that time finance minister of brazil uh i forgot the name um we'll come back to me in a minute uh, finance minister of lula and he went around in the world he said we have a currency war imagine the brazilian finance minister said we're suffering from a currency war against these speculators and nobody would listen to him nobody never ever would listen to him then he went here in geneva i, I point down there because it's there i'm close to geneva here <laughs> uh, uh he went to the wto here in geneva and they organized a meeting a conference a seminar about this problem and the brazilians wanted to have an open discussion of their overvaluation uh, with the speculation and you know what happened there were four institutions were invited the oecd the imf the world bank and and my organization unctad 
So then the first came the deputy chief economist of the, of the IMF and said, Oh, ladies and gentlemen, you know, it's very complex. It's very complex. I, I, we, we are working on it, but, but I can, cannot give you, uh, the answer to what should be done. Then came the World Bank guy and said, Oh, ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, I have to join my colleague from the IMF. It's very complex. It's so complex. And then came the OECD guy and said exactly the same, you know? They all the three said it's complex. We cannot say. Then I came. I was the only guy, the only idiot in town. So I, I said, "Oh, oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's not complex at all. You just have to take into account that there's speculation. It's speculation, nothing else. It's not complex. It can be removed from one day to the other." Wow, that was shock. The American delegation left the room immediately because I didn't want to hear it, you know. And I was again the best friend of the world. <laughs> You talked about that this currency system also need a monetary system. We used to have the bread and wood system, uh, which had capital controls uh, much more uh, strict than today, which was done away with, I believe, in 1972 when uh, the Nixon shock came. Uh, could you talk about how a monetary system would look like today if we were to implement it and who would manage it, given now that the West's relations with China and Russia is on the low yeah you need an international organization let me start with that first uh, you need an international organization to run is that that is what the imf was was founded for that was the idea by a famous economist you know it was mr keynes it was just mr keynes and nobody else uh, who, who created that system although it was not exactly the system keynes wanted but it was in, in principle was the, the system that keynes had in mind and uh, after the war and uh, the IMF should should run it but the IMF should run it as a fair advocate of all sides and not as a slave of the United States uh, treasury that's that's the problem or the Euro european europeans are exactly the same i do not want to blame the americans for everything the europeans are doing the same stupid things as the americans so that that is the first thing The second thing is you may need capital controls. We do not know, but you have to be pragmatic about it. There is no document that says you should not use capital controls. Even the IMF now understands that sometimes you need capital controls. But the first thing and the most important thing is what I said. You have to get rid of this speculation. The, the hedge funds have to be out, and they're out in a minute if, if the international organizations say uh, we, uh, we do not want uh, this kind of speculation – The real has to depreciate when uh, when the inflation rate in, in Brazil is higher than elsewhere, then it will happen. It, it will happen. It, it will just happen. Everybody will believe it, you know. Uh, and um, so uh, uh, this is a very simple thing. And, and, and we have to get rid of the speculation in, in commodities also. Uh, that is also very simple. You can, can be forbidden from one day to the other if the big powers say, Uh, speculation in commodities is no longer allowed, then it will not exist. Then it will be out of this hedge funds and uh, BlackRock, and they will be all out of this business because they don't, don't want to be illegal. So that's very simple. They're very simple things, but nobody wants to hear it, you know, because the big money is is behind all this, and uh, and uh, surely uh, Wall Street is, uh, we know, uh, Well, I do not say it's paying the man, people, men and women, uh, but they're paying high uh, fees for uh, the, the famous thing is my, my colleague Larry Summers, you know, he had to, he had to um, 
uh, open his, his files when he became uh, Secretary Treasury uh, in the United States. And it was, uh, you could see that for one day at Goldman Sachs, he got, uh, if I'm right, $125,000 for one day at Goldman Sachs. So that's not a bad uh, fee. <laughs> you see, you're nice to the people who pay fees like that. That's obviously so. You also mentioned uh, climate change in your article, basically how the global north is demanding the global south to achieve its uh, reduction targets without providing technology and know-how. Can you uh, elaborate in, uh, uh, on that and how it fits into uh, this globalization um, discussion that we just had? Yeah, you see, the, the point is uh, rather similar. We, uh, if, if you look, uh, there was an interview these days by Ursula von der Leyen, our wonderful commission president. Uh, she said, we want to be the world market leader in green technology. Yeah, that's, then, then it's over, you know, that's exactly the wrong approach. If Europe wants to be the world market leader in green technology, then forget about the rest and the rest will not cooperate. Why should they cooperate? They must be stupid uh, because they have to pay for everything that they need there. And, and you see, it's, it's extremely difficult to explain to the people in a developing country, in a poor developing country, that you change now the whole infrastructure. You go to, to wind and solar power with all the vagaries that are in it. Uh, we see it in Germany. But nevertheless, you go to uh, renewable energy. It will cost billions. And, and you, you just tell people, unfortunately, we, we have to do that. We have to do that. We, we get rid of oil because we are good guys in this world and so we, we we pay for that although we do not have the money well this is this is absolutely impossible it will not happen it will never happen and that is why if we want to we want the developing countries to engage then we should turn it around and say we make them world market leader in green technology then that would be a good approach but not us we we become again the world market leader now we are the world market leader in everything in cars and and machine tools and i don't know what and now we want to become the world market leader in green technology also obviously because we're the only ones who are able with their brains to do it so Yeah, this is this is a colonial approach, uh, and and I can understand every every developing country that says no, no, not with these people. That doesn't make sense. They will cheat you wherever they can. Heiner Flasbeck, economist, author, and founder of the website Flasbeck Economics. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Bye bye. And thank you guys for tuning in today. Don't forget to join our alternative channels on Rumble and Telegram. YouTube is not recommending our videos to our own viewers like it used to a few years ago. And to donate, if you're gaining value from our interviews and analysis, then make sure to return that value by donating just a few dollars or euros a month via Patreon, PayPal, or bank account. I'm your host, Zan Raza. See you guys next time.